0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: Coming up in this episode of Target USA. A situation in Sudan has been worsening by the day. Diplomats and NGOs are aware of what's happening in Sudan.
0: But in terms of actually being on the ground to deliver services, nothing has happened other than the flight of the international community.
1: Jok Marak Jok, a Sudanese professor of anthropology at Syracuse University.
0: Right now, hospitals are uh, completely rendered useless.
1: The paramilitary group that's fighting the Sudanese military has actually kidnapped surgeons.
0: To keep them in their camps to treat their wounded. In the meantime, hundreds
1: are dead, thousands are wounded.
0: We are told that bodies are on the streets in Khartoum as we speak.
1: And there appears to be no end in sight to the conflict, coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Looking back over the last few years, we've run into situations, countless situations like this, where we have been billboarding one topic we're going to talk about, which is big news. But something else comes along and eclipses the whole thing. That's the case today with this program. We were supposed to talk about Ukraine, but Sudan is on top of everything I had two conversations this week with Professor Jock Marok-Jok. He's a Sudanese anthropology professor at Syracuse University, and here's how the first one started. Professor Jock marok Jock, thank you for joining us to talk about this situation in Sudan. It's a, quite an interesting situation, and it's uh, it seemed to have exploded all of a sudden on the 15th of April, but do you know better? You know that this is something that's been going on underneath the surface for a while. So um, would you tell us just briefly, give us a debrief, uh, a brief history of where this came from? Certainly.
0: Uh, before we talk about the, the current dynamics, uh, it's important for people to know that this has been uh, long coming and it's been long in the making. Part of it is that the two parties in, at war now the Rapid Support Force, which is the paramilitary, and the Sudan Armed Forces are essentially in the sense that the Sudan Army, under former dictator Al Bashir, built the RSF as a way to outsource murder and mayhem and genocide in far-flung areas of Sudan, including Darfur, particularly but other areas. So in recent months, there has been talk of trying to transfer power from the military, which they took in 2020, transfer power to a civilian government by merging the two sides. The terms of the merger, which meant the RSF would have to be co-opted integrated into the national army of Sudan, did not go very well with the leaders of the RSF because they felt that this was going to simply disarm them and render them uh, powerless. So they decided that uh, the, the terms of the integration of the paramilitaries into the national army were not favorable to them. And they started a war in Sudan. That is essentially what is going on, but it's almost to say that if you make a monster, and you think that you can keep the monster in a box, uh, there is bound to be a day when the monster splits out of the box, and it will be very difficult to contain. That is actually what has happened today.
1: As we stand now, what is the situation there? I heard um, some earlier reports that hundreds of people have been killed, more than 400 people have been killed, and thousands have been injured. What's the current situation?
0: The current situation is a situation that nobody in Sudan, in Khartoum particularly, would have ever fathomed. Because the Sudan government and the elite of Sudan, the people in the political parties, the people in the, in the military, had in a sense taken a, a respite from history. All the things that were happening in the peripheries, in Darfur, in Nuba, in Southern Blue Nile, in the South Sudan before independence are now happening in Khartoum and they are absolutely shocked. So what is going on is fighting, incessant daily fighting between the RSF and the armed forces of Sudan, which now means that ordinary homes are being looted by the RSF Uh, The international community, as it were, is fleeing the country. A massive exodus, very difficult sight to see, where all the diplomats and the UN mission are all fleeing Khartoum right now, heading to Port Sudan, hoping to be evacuated by their countries. Nobody, none of them, is thinking about, so what happens to the Sudanese? The international community was in Sudan, and now they are fleeing. Nobody's thinking about, what about the staff that used to work for us? What about the people who used to guard our compounds? What about the mates who used to cook for us? What do we do? What do the Sudanese, ordinary Sudanese do as the international community is exiting Sudan now in a massive, spectacular exodus? This is what is going on now. As far as the Sudanese themselves, people are holed up in their homes, no water, no electricity, the internet and the and the and the phone connection is going down day by day very soon they will be without contact with the outside world very soon they will have no food they will have no water medical facilities up to 40 major hospitals in Khartoum today are closed because they have been robbed they have been attacked many military, uh, medical personnel have either been killed or seized by the rsf to treat their people like surgeons, all the surgeons in Khartoum are being rounded up to be taken to RSF camps in order to treat their injured people. And the ordinary people of Sudan have nothing, hmm. As, at least in Khartoum. Every, every citizen in Khartoum now is trying to flee to whatever rural home they come from. Professor, what is
1: what is the the, 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 the cause of this recent explosion? I know you explained that this has been a long time coming. This has been something that has been brewing for a while. But this now this talk about merging those two forces has tipped the balance here. But we are hearing reports here in the States about the, the fans of this situation, the flames of this situation being fanned by the Wagner group, the Russian forces that have been there. Do you see yeah. evidence of that?
0: Okay, so the RSF which is a paramilitary run essentially by a former uh, livestock trader called uh, Hamdan Daglo, who is now the head of the RSF. He has had liaisons or contacts with uh, General Haftar in Libya, with the Wagner group who are in, Central African Republic, there have been uh, support and uh, supporting each other. Hamdan Daglo himself has been involved in mining of gold in Darfur and the Wagner group have been the ones uh, connecting them to Russia. So the Sudan gold is being sold in Russia. That is the link. Recently, there were reports that the Russians and the Libyans may have invested in supporting them financially, but it's not financial support. the The RSF have been contributors to Chad and Libyan uh, paramilitary forces. What Amdan Daglo and the RSF are doing currently in connection to Russia is selling gold to Russia. So there is quite a lot that is hanging on the RSF with regards to war in Ukraine and the sanctions, the Western sanctions on on Russia and Russia having difficulty accessing uh, resources, gold. Sudan's goal is is financing one aspect of uh, Russia-Ukraine war.
1: How important is Sudan to? Russia, and the Russian forces right now?
0: Sudan in general is as important as any other African country, not not, not so significant. But as far as uh, the RSF and Hameti, the head of that force, is concerned, Russia is extremely important because it is Russia that is the biggest buyer of Sudanese gold, and it, the beneficiary is the RSF.
1: What next in Sudan? What do the people do there now? I mean, you've already told me that people are trapped in their homes, no food, no water, no electricity, uh, and fighting is going on. Um, what what happens now is are the the peace negotiations that I've heard have been going on have have fallen apart very brief, very quickly after they've been established. So, what next?
0: Yeah, the, big, the most important thing is that the, the whole region of the Horn of Africa and East Africa are watching this with a great deal of concern because the Sudan falling apart is extremely bad for the whole region, particularly South Sudan, which is to the south, Ethiopia to the east, Eritrea, and uh, and across the Red Sea to United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and the, the Houthi war there, uh, backed by Saudi Arabia and United States, all of it is uh, linking to this war. And it's important that Sudan gets stabilized as quickly as possible. And anybody who is thinking that we should wait it out until somebody wins are simply uh, 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 waiting for the ordinary Sudanese people to perish. And I think in, as uh, as soon as possible, the African Union, the IGAT, Uh, the European Union, the United Nations, should all put their heads together to see the quickest possible way to appeal to the passions of these two leaders, Al-Burhan on on top of the army, and Dagolo on top of the RSF should sit down and at least to begin with, to find corridors or passage for people who need to flee and for people who need to bring humanitarian aid into Sudan at least to keep people safe for the time being. And then after that, talk about possibility of a, a ceasefire, I mean, of a, of a negotiated settlement to bring Sudan back from this uh, terrible situation to a situation where people can talk peace, people can talk about democratic transitions, the RSF and the Sudan, Sudan army can be merged and uh, uh, the citizens of Sudan being allowed to select their leaders going forward.
1: And this is the second conversation that I had with Professor Jacques Maroc jacques This one took place on Tuesday, the 25th of April. And this came as we had learned about a ceasefire taking hold there.
0: It's working, yes, in a very limited way. Uh, it has opened a few corridors, a few passageways for uh some people to leave the city of Khartoum and the nearby towns heading either north uh or going south and then east to Port Sudan so yeah in a in a sense it is working uh but it has not stopped uh, the shooting in Khartoum right now uh, there is still a lot of artillery sound there is a lot of uh, still a lot of uh, Hurdles along the way. I spoke to people who left uh, the city center in Khartoum Khartoum is a it's a tripartite city Uh, The three towns divided by the confluence of the Nile so people leaving the city center downtown Khartoum to head north to Wadi Saidna, which is uh, a military base there that they hope uh, can be of use to them to leave the country uh, take a long time. A distance, a, a, a trip of fifteen minutes is now taking three hours, because they have to evade uh, checkpoints. Uh, active fighting is going on still in Khartoum, so mm. it's a, it's good news that there is some lull in fighting, uh, but it's not enough.
1: So has this ceasefire assisted in any way at all the problem that people have had with communications?
0: Not at all. In, in fact, communication has uh, worsened. Uh, one of the main uh, telecom uh, companies uh, uh, called Sudani is, is shut. Uh, the bridges uh, are shut. So movement is still uh, restricted. Uh, internet is getting a little bit restricted. Uh, so uh, no, communication has been uh, one of the things that people fear that if it got lost, uh, the world will no longer bear witness to what is going on there. Especially since a lot of international members of international community, uh, such as diplomats and UN agencies, are leaving the country, yeah. uh, and so it will be very difficult to keep track of what is going on if should the communication system be shut entirely.
1: What is necessary to turn this ceasefire into something? more um, productive, more long-term?
0: I think it is primarily depending on the will of the two generals who are fighting, uh, General uh, Hameti and General Burhan. Uh, are, uh, they have agreed to allow this uh, 72-hour ceasefire to take place, but they have not ratchet down the level of acrimony between the two of them. You are still hearing military generals. In fact, one of the major issues with this fire is that the two top generals may have agreed it, but the field commanders may not uh, adhere to it, uh, especially on the side of the RSF, but also on the side of uh, Sudan Armed Forces. I just listened to a general saying that um, they will defeat the RSF, no question about it. So, But when, when, when military victory is what is being put forth as the only solution, I think the room for any kind of ceasefire is narrowed.
1: What should be put forth in terms of solutions?
0: No, I think the, the, the most important thing at the moment is to ensure that the people of Sudan are assisted to wither this uh, horrible situation uh, where people are holed up in homes without food and with no water and there's no electricity and there's no fuel for generators. So I think humanitarian uh, efforts uh, need to be uh, increased just to ensure that people are alive. And then after that, uh, think about how to broker a kind of a political deal between these generals. You said to
1: me when we spoke before that the Westerners or the foreigners were hastily leaving Khartoum and I suppose other parts of Sudan as well. And the message that it sends to Sudanese people can't be good in that all of these people are leaving, but they're not doing anything to help Sudan Mm -hmm. fix the issue. Have you gotten any signs or seen any signs since yesterday uh, or since, uh, since the last few days that there, there are any external diplomatic efforts to kind of uh, assist with solving this situation?
0: I have seen communication uh, going on, uh, especially uh, with uh, U.S. Secretary of State uh, Blinken uh, making uh, these o- gestures, overtures to the Sudanese leaders that this can only be be resolved by talking. Uh, That that communication has been happening uh, from all over the world, really. I think a lot of people are concerned about the fate of Sudan. Uh, But in terms of actually being on the ground to deliver services, uh, nothing has happened other than the flight of of the international community. Right now, hospitals are uh, completely rendered useless. Uh, RSF is said to have actually seized uh, a large number of uh, uh, surgeons to try to to keep them in their camps, to treat their wounded and not in the hospitals where they could serve everybody. Over 400 people is dead, scores, nobody knows exactly how many people have been wounded. Uh, we are told that bodies are on the streets in Khartoum as we speak. So in terms of uh, what the international community could do going forward, I think the first thing is to simply tried to help Sudan restore some of its basic services from electricity to water supply and, and food and, and medical care. And then after that, try to uh, urge the parties to, to seek some kind of dialogue. Uh, as, as, as war and battlefield, uh, uh, as much as the parties thumb their chests to defeat the other, I don't think uh, war is going to be a solution to any of this.
1: What about the NGOs? Are they coming? Are they there? What's the situation with that?
0: Sudan is host to a large number of international NGOs and local NGOs. Uh, They are there. Uh, They have left their local, their Sudanese national staff are on the ground. Uh, Many of the international staff, including heads of some of these uh, organizations, have left. Um, uh, uh, What is helping, what is keeping Sudan Uh, going on now is a large number of dual citizen Sudanese uh, who have not been evacuated. There's about 16,000 American Sudanese and Americans living in Sudan and they are all working for NGOs or running their national NGOs and I think uh, these are the people who are uh, going to, uh, to, to be able to tell us what is going on in the next day or two. And they will be the ones who will provide some semblance of assistance to the Sudanese people in the immediate.
1: My conversations with Professor Jokmar Jok, a professor of anthropology. He's Sudanese, and he's at the Syracuse University. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has got a serious concern.
0: Politically, for him, it's very difficult because anything less than driving Russians out will be politically dangerous for him.
1: Steven Erlanger is based in Brussels. He's The New York Times' chief diplomatic correspondent. There's just nervousness,
0: particularly in political Europe as the war goes on,
1: He says the political hand-wringing is about more than just the fighting.
0: How long it will go on, how much it will end up costing, where it will end up, what happens to prices, um, what happens to food prices.
1: And what happens to their leadership. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey tango oscarpapa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast.